It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Hello and welcome to Gag Impressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And that's it. We've had the first weekend of Bundesliga fixtures. How exciting it was and plenty to discuss. Let's take a quick look over the results. So on Friday night, we've seen FC Bayern Munich take on Hoffenheim. Unfortunately, Nagelsmann's men uh, fell to a 3-1 defeat. The champions um, charging on as they did last year. Moving into Saturday, we've seen Wolfsburg shock everybody by beating High Flyers last year. Schalke 2-1. Then Hertha picked up a good result, a 1-0 home victory against newly promoters Nuremberg, while Werber, I mean Werder Bremen, yeah, he made that slip on Twitter this week, managed to uh, draw with Hanover 1-1. Fortuna Dusseldorf um, went up against Manu's favourite, uh, Osberg, someone that he suggested will go down, managed to win 2-1, eh? so I'm sure we'll discuss that a little bit. Uh, Freiburg struggled. Yep, they lost at home to Eintracht Frankfurt, a team that we thought would maybe be in crisis mode, but they've managed to pull themselves out of that. Um, Hacking out? Not quite. It looks like Hacking might be staying a bit longer after this fantastic result. Borussia Mönchengladbach to Neverkusen. Nil. Uh, now moving on to the Sunday games, we've seen Mainz. Mainz, yep, managed to get a home victory against Stuttgart, starting off the season well. Then last but not least, the biggest game of the weekend, we've seen Lucien Fabris, Borussia Dortmund take on RB Leipzig and managed to start badly but then recover and win 4-1. What a victory for him in the first game of the season. So, yes, that's all the weekend's results uh, announced. The other big talking points that we will include on today's show will be VAR, uh, Frankfurt, and that massively epic game on Sunday. So joining me this week, um, it feels like we haven't had the old team all together in quite some time, but it's happened. It's happened at long last. Chris Williams, you're back. Uh, yes, I am. Hello, Bryce uh, and Manu, obviously, who've spoken to loads, but not on a podcast. Uh, yeah, it's nice to be back after a little break. Oh, well, we are delighted to have you back, Chris. Um, yes, and as you announced as well, uh, Manu is joining us as well. Manu Vet, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. The The sunshine is back, the smoke is gone. So, yeah, I'm really good. I had a lot of fun watching those games in the first weekend. Yeah, exciting. I'm glad to hear that it's cleared up um, around where you were. We were getting a little bit concerned for you. But um, enough about um, your well-being. We're going to talk about football, I feel. And, oh, where where to start? I suppose the Friday night game. Uh, Manu, um, we've seen the, the champions pick up a, another victory um, under Kovac. Um, yeah, where, where to begin with this one? They they, they didn't didn't exactly play fantastically did they they need a little bit of help to uh, break the deadlock no i do think that bayern started that game quite well and i think that um you know it's it it wasn't exactly revolutionary what we saw from nico kovac in in that first half it was uh, a lot of the same old in a lot of ways i guess the the one surprise was that or the two surprises really were that robin and Hummels were left on the bench and uh, Tuliso didn't even make the squad, right? So there's some tough decisions made by, by Kovac and I guess he's really putting his foot down and showing his authority. But at the same time, the, the setup of the team wasn't exactly re- revolutionary. It was a lot of what we expected to see. It was a 4-3-3 with Javi Martinez anchoring the midfield, Ribéry on the one wing, Coman on the other wing. 
And I, I thought that Bayern um, rightfully took the lead and dominated the match in the first um, 30 minutes or so. And uh, Hoffenheim took some time to get into. And I actually, and I'm really curious to, to hear what you think, Chris, but for me, Hoffenheim, considering that they were missing pretty much the entire creative midfield, did quite well in this game. They were very compact. They they really managed to break, do not give Bayern the room that they needed to, to be creative themselves. And uh, we're very good going forward. And I mean, in the end of the day, it was really um, a very questionable penalty that, that wanted for Bayern, right? Yeah, I mean, I um, I spoke to you as the game was going on, and I had the feeling that um, once Kevin Voigt went off, that, that Hoffenheim might have some trouble because he, he'd been exceptional at the back, and we all know um, what a leader he is on that right side of the back three. And it was no coincidence for me that um, once he went off, um, they leaked two goals, and yeah, okay, so the the penalty is uh, it's a strange one, isn't it? Um, and then the retake's even stranger. Um, so yeah, Bayern got maybe look of the look of the draw, rub of the green, however you want to describe it. Um, I think they were unlucky in the end, Hoffenheim. But you know, you're quite right; they were missing a number of players, and I don't think they were creative as certainly that I saw them um, on the opening of match day one last season, and they played a lot better than they did the start of this season. But I, if I was a Hoffenheim fan, or indeed if I you know was connected to Hoffenheim in any way, I would take a lot of heart from this game because if for, what, let's say 70 minutes, I thought they pretty much um, matched Bayern. Uh, Bayern was strong early on, got the goal through Muller, but after that I thought they settled well um, and, and really made a game out of it. And yeah, for me, it's only when um, when the captain Voigt goes off that they have a real trouble. Um, so I hope for them that he comes back um, as soon as as soon as possible, because I think he's a key element to that side. Yeah, I've got news on that. He's he'll be back next week. So, although it was apparently very painful, it's not a serious injury. Well, that's good for um, everyone connected with TSG. Good news. Chris was saying that he thinks um, Hoffenheim can take a lot of heart from this. I mean. Nagelsmann said that, you know, they're aiming to, to win the league, you know, that that's his ultimate goal. Uh, whether that's realistic or not, you know, it, it's, it's up for debate. Um, how do you think, um, you know, obviously taking on the champions, them wanting to become champions, Hoffenheim, um, how do you think this game has, has left them hopeful that they could achieve something like that? Well, I think Hoffenheim felt very aggrieved after this match. I think the, the penalty situation was an absolute mess. Uh, if I had reviewed one of the two situations, it wouldn't have been the penalty goal. It would have been the actual penalty. I mean, I've seen this replay now a hundred times. And um I mean, Harvard Nordfight goes into the tackle and Ribéry, uh, he passes Ribéry and Ribéry tries to get, when you look at it, he actually tries to get his body out of the may, out of the way, right? And, um, I, I can't decide whether or not that's a penalty. What I'm surprised is that they review, didn't review that and then reviewed the penalty goal. And, um, I mean, players run into the box all the time. And I'm not a hundred percent sure on that rule either. I think if, if the violation is by the, by the attacker, shouldn't it be a free kick? Um, going the other way. So it's, it's a bit why review. I that? think, I, th- I think that review was, there was the encroachment from, um, from it was Robin, wasn't it? Yeah. And then, um, Bauman wasn't exactly on his line either. So I mm-hmm. think when they reviewed it, it was, it was a bit of both. Um, so they've got um, a retake, uh, had Bauman not come off his line, it's uh, it's it's a free kick. Um, so I think they can feel aggrieved by that. But yeah, I mean, I spoke to you at the time. I've seen that replay. If you're a defender, you're given the um, you're given the striker the opportunity there to to go down if there's contact. And I think there is contact when he tries to um, get over him. But it just seems like he's diving over him rather than trying to hurdle him. Um, but there is contact. Till they they did review it, they because they review them all, don't they? Whether they needed to look at it for more than a second. But yeah, it's one of those that's given and and maybe occasionally isn't given. So you either end up with a penalty or a yellow card for simulation. Um, it was just a very very 
strange decision and I think it wasn't helped by the retake um, after that mm. um, and then there was a disallowed goal after that as well wasn't there so on a night when the DFB and the DFL probably wanted VAR to run very smoothly um, it's had a bit of a stinker all weekend uh, let me just say it this way it's the sort of penalty Bayern get and the opponent wouldn't have gotten yeah well I'll, I'll agree I'll agree with you for that that's a big key decision that you know, went in favour of Bayern Munich. I, personally, you know, looking at it again, it's it, it's a hard one because, as I say, he he tries to hurdle him, but for me, it looks like a dive, as in he's trying to dive over the top of him. I probably wouldn't have given it if I was a referee. I think Ribery has enough time to get out of the way. That's you know, he knows Ribery knows what he's doing, and it's at home at the Allianz Arena. We all know Bayern will get that call right. And I think at the end of the day, I mean, this is this is the this goal, and Bayern fans will say, "Well, they scored a third. Sure, you did." Um, but at the end of the day, this is the eighty-second minute. That that goal just decided the game, not the third one. This one did. And at that point, Hoffenheim and Bayern were very much equal. I had this game ahead of this game. I had it down as a draw, and I think without that penalty, that's what would have happened, and it would have opened up everything. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think that there is. I think there's arguments that go both way, but I can see why they, I can see a lot of people saying rightfully it's the sort of call that by only Bayern gets. And I mean, that is an issue in itself. You know, people have looked at VAR last season saying, well, it's favoring the big boys and the Bundesliga that is Bayern. And um, maybe that is something that um, VAR is not supposed to do that. Right. So something to think about maybe for the, for the team in the bunker in Köln. Yeah, guys, I, I think we're going to be discussing this plenty this season, aren't we? But, um, and even more so on the uh, podcast, uh, today. But, um, let's talk about, um, a, a few other points just be, before we do talk about, uh, VAR a bit more. Um, uh, Chris, uh, Kingsley Coleman had a very bright start, didn't he? But unfortunately went down to, uh, an awful ankle injury, which is going to keep him out for what's quoted as several weeks. Um, a, a real, shame for Bayern. It, it meant that after that, they went back to kind of the Bayern that we've seen over the last few years, isn't it, with with, with Robin and Ribery and, and everyone else. Yeah, it was a, a horrendous shame for him because he had played exceptionally well and um, he looked like he'd settled and it looked like we'd really started to see the best out of him in the first game, which I think if you're a player who's under a little bit of pressure, that's exactly what you need um, to come out with that sort of display and you could see from his whole body language um, that you know it wasn't good. Uh, I think so, uh, sort of Kimmich said he was close to tears when he saw him down. Um, so it shows how much you know a, a respected guy he is in in a changing room and a dressing room. Um, so this is a, a real problem. And when you get a sort of seven several weeks um, sort of diagnosis, I think we can all see that it might be a little bit more than that. I would be shocked. Um, with his body language and the players around him um, and what we've heard afterwards if we see him before the winter pause. Yeah, I heard November is when he's supposed to come back, but then it takes the same amount of time um, for a player to reach fitness than they were out, right? So being able to train again doesn't mean you are 100% match fit. So I, it's, it's hard. And yeah, you're right, Chris. I, I think from the body language on the, on the pitch, you could right away tell that this is serious. And this is an injury that he had before. So this is a recurrent injury, which is, of course, um, is troublesome for, for Bayern because they know now that, you know, Coleman is a guy that goes down, uh, has apparently repeated ankle injury problems. And the, the other wingers that they have in Robin and Ribery, um, they, you know, they're 34 and 35 and they had injury problems their entire careers as well. And Serge Knabry is, 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 is struggling with uh, muscle injuries, um, has had that issue for a long time. So, I mean, if I, I guess if you, Alfonso Davis, looking at this in Vancouver, you say, oh, I have a real good chance playing when I arrive um, because all these guys are struggling. But at the same time, it's if you're a Bayern fan, it's something to worry about, I think, when you look at all these wingers because um, this is just match day one and um, there's a lot of injury problems already. Yeah, very frustrating for Kingsley Coleman. 
you know, a player that I'm sure really would have wanted to kick on this year. Um, but um, Manu, you talked about uh, you know, Alfonso Davis uh, coming in. Uh, he'll not be until November. Do, do you think this will mean, you know, with um, the final few days of the transfer window open, that um, Bayern will possibly be forced to to make a move? Yeah, so apparently PSG thought now was a good time to make a last bit for Boateng and they offered um, Draxler in exchange for Boateng. Transfer swap deals are always very popular in the media. I never see them happen. And then Hoeneß came out this today and said, we're not going to buy a player for three months. So I guess either that shuts that down or um, maybe he hasn't communicated with Salim Hamidzic, but usually when Hoeneß makes a statement like that, and then that's that. Um I, I think fundamentally he's quite right. We all know that Bayern are loading up for a big transfer next summer, right? So bringing in someone like Draxler right now, um, I don't know if that would be even the right move. I don't even know if that would be a good fit for, for Bayern. I, I can't really, I don't, I don't think he would fit that 4-3-3 that Kovac likes to play, right, Chris? Yeah, I'd be surprised if they went for Draxler. I don't think he's probably the fit that they would want and, um, quite rightly. Uh, I think Oli Hoeneß is right in this instance. Um, you know, are they going to buy a player for three months? Probably not, because as you said, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of euphoria and a lot of excitement surrounding Alfonso Davies. He can come in and do that. Maybe Coburn will be back to you know near enough playing in a few months. Um, you would hope three months, three to four months, um, and they still got uh, their old timers who can still do a job. So yeah, I would think it would be a panic buy, um, and that's something that Bayern Munich don't normally do. And there's a lot of excitement about Batista Maya from from the youth setup. And I mean, remember one of the things that Kovac was brought into this team is to possibly introduce one or two players from the youth team as well. So I think this would just send the wrong message to everyone involved. It would send the wrong message to Davis. It would send the wrong message to Gnabry. It would send the wrong message to uh, Koman as well, right? Um, I think as as much as they would probably be tempted to do this, it, I think the Short term, it would be a good solution, but medium and long term, it would not be. Yeah, I agree with you, Manu. Swap deals we don't really see happen very often. It isn't football manager here, is it? But um, guys, we'll move on to the next game. And unfortunately, we're going to have to talk about VAR once again. A bit more controversy in the Schalke versus Wolfsburg game. Um, Chris, we're going to go to you on this one. Um, what, what exactly is, has happened here? I mean, it feels like we're going to talk about VAR forever. Well, if there was a poor use in um, in Friday night's game, I will defend the use of it here. Um, I thought it was used very, very well twice, but it's the time it takes. Um, it's a lengthy process with the referee walking off. So first of all, um, Stasic is, gets a yellow card for a very high tackle, um, which is then... Um, turned into a red on the use of VAR. Now, if you watch the replay, his leg is straight, it is high, and it's full studs onto the knee. So, perfect. That is a red card for me. No dramas with that whatsoever. Um, I don't know why the referee has to go and see it, though. Um, I think we're going to probably talk about this in a bit. But um, when it was used in the World Cup, that's the sort of decision, I think, that the video assistant referee makes. Um, And does he have to tell the referee to go and look on the screen? Probably not. Um, then you've got Veghorst, who, um, who looks like he headbutts um, someone, but he doesn't. It's, a, it's handbags um, on the floor, gets up, has half a trip, and then uses his shoulder. Correct decision is a yellow card, I think, not a, uh, not a red card. So um, I think those two instances worked very well. It's just a... It's just the time it's taken, really. Um, I didn't watch that game live. Um, I watched one of the other um, half two or half three kickoffs in Germany. Um, but watching the um, highlights later on, they those two look to be definite. Um, you correct uses of VAR. It, for me, it's just the time it takes. It needs to be quicker, um, which I think is the problem. Um, the, the whole thing surrounding VAR in Germany is the speed. Oli Hulner said something today on that. Um, probably wasn't the best thing that he said, but I can understand his sentiment behind it. Why are referees uh, at FIFA World Cups from, you would say, uh, lower down in the football ranking, able to implement VAR in Germany, which is one of the top five leagues in Europe, if not the world, um, is um, is unable to 
maybe get it down to the sort of speed that we saw in the World Cup. But in this particular one, Bryce, VAR was used twice um, and it was used well. It's just the timing. Yeah, I almost wonder if if it works better at the World Cup because because there isn't as much emotion on the pitch. No, the the work that the atmosphere in World Cup stadiums is great, but you can't compare it to club football at all. And um, I think when you when you look at the, any VER decision, you know the moment VER comes out in Germany, it's such a loaded topic at the moment, and even the Bayern fans are, are shouting, you know the the SCH word with DFB on it. Um, the, the, we all know what, what I'm talking about. And I think, I think that it's just such a, it becomes the stadium automatically becomes such a cauldron at the moment that it makes it really difficult. And the speed of the referees really doesn't help. But I think it's almost, I wonder if that emotional component makes it harder for VER to work in club football than it does than in international football, where people watch and it's emotional as well, but it's just not comparable at all to, to people who support clubs. I think the main problem that I've seen with it on this particular match day is we're still seeing what you would call teething problems. Now, mm-hmm. VAR has been in use for the whole of last season, so you would have hoped that teething problems should have really been ironed out by uh, by the break, December, and then, uh, sorry, January. And then, you know, when we come back uh, in, in late January, you would hope that it would have kicked on, but it doesn't seem to have done that. And you'd have hoped also that over the summer that the um, DFB and DFL referees would have got together and, and maybe looked at together with the two um, associations and, try to see how they could make it quicker, but it doesn't. It seems that the problems that we had last season, we've still got this season, which fills me with worry on day one, uh, because if it carries on, are we going to still have the same problems next season? You would hope um, not. This is why the likes of the Premier League and the Champions League have have held off on implementing it, because they think it's not ready. Uh, They think it needs to be smoother and a quicker process, and you would hope that the likes of Germany and Italy um, to a lesser extent, the states who, where, they're, where they're using it week in, week out, would be getting it real spot on now and mm. maybe forcing all the other leagues to take it on. But at the moment, they're just giving loads of ammunition to the likes of the Premier League and the Champions League to say, well, you know, look at Germany, excellent league, excellent football, top-notch referees. They can't get it right. We're not bringing it in yet. I'm going to say something really controversial here. But in MLS and in Serie A, they are doing a lot better job. Maybe Germany doesn't have excellent referees. Maybe they just are not good enough at what they're doing, and that's why we're having so many teething problems. And that's a real, you know, pointing. You look at that the, the Bayern penalty that was given in real time and not even looked at. Maybe our referees aren't good enough for the league. Oof, that is a big statement. Yeah, but I mean, you're, you're... You, look, you look at the other competitions. I I watch MLS. And they're having issues with VAR and MLS as well, but nothing like this. And Serie A does a wonderful job. You know, in Serie A, the numbers, the, the referees and the league, they 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 love it. And uh, it's it's eliminated a bunch of problems that they have in Italy. I mean, diving is down in Italy. Um, the actual match time in games is up. Um, there is less act play acting in in Serie A than there was before they brought it in. And um, you never hear, has any one of you ever heard about big VER controversies? I'm sure they happen, but not every single match day. So maybe German referees aren't very good. I mean, maybe they're just not very well run. I think that's what it is. I think I've seen German referees, obviously, in the Bundesliga week in, week out. And I've seen them operate throughout Europe in both the Europa League and Champions League. And they are very good referees. I think the problem is the implementation. So. I would probably hang my hat on the problem being in Cologne, um, either in the bunker or within the DFL themselves, um, how they're rolling it out. So I would definitely say it's an environmental issue. Uh, Maybe the referees aren't given the right amount of trust in accordance with the International Football Association Board Directive on VAR, which everybody can download and read. It's not the hardest document to interpret in the world, um, but there seems to be real poor interpretation on the match day. So... I would say it's an organisational issue um, and something that Germany is going to have to get right because when you've got um, chairman, directors, managers of clubs speaking out, you've got the press who aren't particularly happy and that's the whole press from 
you know, what you want to call a tabloid press over to the um, more respected um, broadsheet style press, online agencies, etc. Um, Deutsche Welle, excellent site, exceptionally critical on um, on VAR and rightly so. So it's uh, an environmental issue for me. Yeah, maybe someone needs to come in from the outside. I mean, MLS is run by Howard Webb, who I have enormous respect for and a real gentleman of the game and really knows the stuff. And again, MLS has, they have, they have what I would define as teething problems. You know, um, they, they don't always get it right, but it doesn't become a hot topic every single match day. So maybe it need, they need to bring in someone else to run it for them. You know, because Americans, I mean, Americans are great with that. They, they're very good at, bringing in outsiders to help them they i mean there's a not not everything is perfect over in north america but i think what north americans in general are very good is that they know when they're not good at something so they get the external help to help them with this maybe the dfl need to do the same yeah i think the three of us can certainly agree that something needs to be done and you think it would have uh, kicked on as chris said by now wouldn't you but um let's talk about the football the var did um kind of uh, overshadow that game very much so. But um, you, a topic we were going to talk about anyway, but we, we've even had a Twitter question saying, uh, and I'll put this uh, to you, Chris, um, can Wolfsburg build on their strong start and start challenging at the top of the table once again? No. Sure. <laughs> um, I think they can build on their strong start. Of course they can. Uh, I certainly don't think they can challenge at the top of the table if they finish anywhere above 15th. Um, I think that's a mass improvement for them. Don't forget, you know, they're trying to avoid a third straight season in the playoff place. I think if they get that third straight season in the playoff place, they may go down just purely on the fact uh, of the strength of the league below with um, Hamburg and um, FC Kern in. Uh, I think the third place team that that comes in that may be able to dislodge Wolfsburg or whoever the 16th place team is come the end of the season. But, uh, I think a realistic game for Wolfsburg would be the top half. Um, if they can do that, that would be excellent for them. Considering, as I say, they finished 16th in the last um, in the last two seasons. And going back to this particular game, um, I thought they took the the, the winning goal well. So it was some really good interplay, um, but they're going to have to do it you know, for every single game in order to pull themselves out. And the thing I worry about Wolfsburg, and I've seen the last couple of seasons, is um, once they get their first defeat. It's how they respond to that, um, which they've been unable to do the last couple of seasons, effectively. Yeah, I would take any result on match day one with a grain of salt. Um, every single one of these results that we've seen um, have a backstory, and um, you can't take you can't take those match day one results and project an entire season on them. I like what. Chris always says, uh, match day 10 is for you the magic number, right? When, when you sort of see, um, which direction it goes. So that, that first match day is, let's wait and see. Yeah. I try and avoid the table. Um, obviously a bit difficult for me at the moment. Um, having allegiances to Bruce Dortmund and obviously being a massive Liverpool fan with both those teams top of their respective leagues. But yeah, realistically, you shouldn't be looking at, uh, at the table really for me until match day 10. Yeah, I think that's rather sensible, fellas, isn't it? Let's uh, reassess then. But um, Manu, uh, news that, um, well, Schalke have just made a, a signing, uh, if you'd like to uh, touch on this. Yeah, so we've, we've known this was coming. Sebastian Rudi has joined uh, Bayern. He was in talks with Schalke and Leipzig. And Leipzig pretty much confirmed it yesterday because um, they said that they uh, had to step away from the deal because it, it's just financially not manageable for them. And we'll touch on why uh, later in this podcast. But yeah, um, hi, um, Sebastian, Chris Heidel, um, Schalke's sporting director, um, has done a fantastic job bringing Sebastian Rudi there. I got it right. Um, for 60 million euros. And I, um, from what I hear, there's bonuses that could make this deal Go up to 20 million euros is what those bonuses are. Um, I guess a certain amount of games played, games in the Champions League, um, what position Schalke will end up in the end of the season. And I think for Schalke, this is a magnificent deal. I think that this match day, although it's not a projection for the rest of the season, showed that they still had to do some work. And I think Sebastian Rudi will go a long way to replace the big hole that Max Meyer and Leon Goretzka have left in midfield for Schalke. 
yeah, an exciting deal for Schalke there. Uh, it'll be interesting to see just how Sebastian Rudy gets on. Um, guys, let's move on to the next game that we're going to discuss then. Ed's. I'm sorry, Chris, we're going to have to go straight to uh, Manu on this one. So your predicted champions have fallen at the first hurdle. What's happened here? Bayer Leverkusen. Yeah, it's the curse of the Manu. Um, <laughs> look, um, I think that, again, match day one, you have to take everything with a grain of salt. I do think, though, that uh, this is a disappointing result for, for Leverkusen. On the other hand, I had people go at me on Twitter and say that uh, Leverkusen looked poor. Um, I They must have seen a very different game than anyone else um, in Germany, or including myself. Even the kicker review was that Leverkusen started uh, very well into this match and became undone, of course, once Gladbach started scoring a penalty. Look, this this is this is this is this is in a lot of ways classic Leverkusen. I think they set themselves up very well for a good season going into into this match and um Gladbach are a good side and they got they got their win and I think for, for Heiko Herrlich this will be a very good lesson in how to do better. And I think that Leverkusen, I still maintain this. I think they have a squad to challenge all the way in the top. And uh, if everything goes well, um, although the Dortmund result was very impressive, um, if everything goes well, they can they can challenge all the way to the end of the season. And the way I see this league season going, and the, um, I mean, the, the Dortmund result, again, was a good example, but also Bayern's game against Hoffenheim. I think there's going to be many teams that are going to take the match to, to Bayern and to Dortmund. And we will see um, a lot more, a more, lot more even league this year because I think that teams all around the league have um, have gotten have caught up to Bayern, and um, so Gladbach will be dropping points. Leverkusen will be dropping points throughout the season. You will not necessarily need a perfect season to win this year. And um, I, the thing that I said in my projection as well that the top four was very difficult for me to choose this year because. I mean, I can also see Dortmund win it or just be at the same old Bayern. But I do also like to steer up a little bit of controversy. So for me, Bayern is the choice and I, I would love to see it happen. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, absolutely. But Chris, obviously you weren't on last week when we all made our predictions. You have made your prediction on Twitter of the uh, league table. But um, how is it for anyone that hasn't seen that? So where, where did you predict Bayern or Bayern Leverkusen would uh, finish? And um, how do you see their season going? Um, I think I had them down as third or maybe fourth. <clears throat> um, I think they'll they'll do very well. They're a very strong side. They've got some excellent um, players um, the way they kept hold of Union Brandt is going to um, obviously help them. They've got Leon Bailey, um, Kevin Folland as well, um, Kai Havertes, you know, Tar in defence. Um, they've, they've got a very good side. Uh, where they came undone this week is the fact that they couldn't put the ball um, in the net, which is, you know, that's the key to winning games. They should have been away, out of sight by the time um, Gladbach got their opener in the 55th minute. Um, through Chris, Hoffman. I'm glad you saw yep. the same game that I did. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, most definitely, because, you know, um, Bailey hits the bar from a header, yeah. completely mistimes his jump. Um, it, you know, a player of his stature and his nature um, should be nodding that in. Um, Zoma is nowhere to be seen. Um, later on, Zoma makes a great save. Um, and, and Kevin Volland misses from, what, inside the six-yard box? I don't think I saw him do that last season. Uh, so I think for um, Herlich, Heiko Herlich, I wouldn't be too harsh on him. I thought his team played very well. Um, I think a few individuals let him down is probably a harsh way of saying it. But, you know, they were beaten 2-0. So, yeah, in, in essence, they did let him down. And on another day, um, by Leverkusen, go and win that game 3-1, 3-2, whatever you want. But 
they certainly weren't um, they certainly weren't worthy of a two 0 defeat. But goals win games, and and that's what uh, Dieter Hecken has got his side doing. You know, uh, I thought they played very well. The last goal was exceptional. Raphael, mm. a brilliant piece of skill to turn that game round, and that's exactly what Bayer Leverkusen were missing was a bit of individuality, a little bit of individual skill to make a difference. And I think that'll be a shame for them because they've got Bailey, Volland, and Brandt there in that three. Um, across the midfield behind Lario. So by rights, they should have been out of sight in that game. So yeah, I'm sure I, I managed right. Um, Heiko Hurlick will have learned a lot from that and it will probably to discipline his players to say when you get opportunities like that, you can't spurn them time after time. Yeah, that's exactly it, I suppose. Um, Manu, would you say that we're going to have to give um, Hacking a bit of credit you know, for this victory? I mean, it's it, it went as well as it possibly could for him, I think. Yeah, I think that Gladbach, uh, that, that setup, that 4-3-3 seems to be working a lot better for them. They've scored a lot of goals and they scored 11 goals, um, against Haberstadt in the DFB Pokal. So that's, yes, it's against a uh, fourth division side or fifth division side. Sorry. Um, but they're still, you know, you know, it's a very impressive result. And I think that 4-3-3 sets them up in a more attacking style, which is a more Gladbach style um, than what he, they were playing last year, which was very conservative. And it's interesting that he went without player in this match. Um, a player who pretty, I think, would work very well on this setup. But of course, they have lots of players that can do well um, and play um, in four-three-three. And going with Raphael as a striker played paid big dividends for them. And I think Raphael is, he's one of my favorite players in the Bundesliga. I'm a, I'm a big fan of his. Um, I think he's very technical gifted and he, he often gets overlooked when it comes to um, some of the biggest stars in the league. He's technically one of the soundest players in, in that competition and he gets his, he gets his goal. And even though he's getting on an age, he's, he's still playing fantastically well. And I think, him having that entire summer off too and um, Gladbach not having played in the Europa League last year, you can really tell that he's very fit at the moment. And there comes the question though, are they going to, how long are they going to be able to carry that momentum? And that's something that remains to be seen. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Manu, just to go back to you before we move on to the next game, uh, Hendricks is uh, leaving Bayer uh, Leverkusen. Well, will that be of any consequence to them you know it's a possibly being a man down will they get another player in in that time or mm -hmm. do you not see it as being a bit of an issue Benjamin Henry he did play he didn't have the best of games he caused the penalty right um, the he's not gotten along very well with Heiko Herrlich so he's off to AS Monaco for 20 million euros that deal is not confirmed yet by the way but it, it seems very much that is, it's going to happen um, I think that for the player, sometimes it's better to move on. And Leverkusen, um, they're having some issues in central midfield and they are considering using that money to bring in someone because Aranguiz and, uh, Lars Bender, um, have struggled with injuries in, in recent years. And, um, for this one, they had to, they had to move back Harvards to the number six, eight role, right? Which is not his best position. He's more of a number 10. So they're thinking of bringing in another central midfielder. Also because Baumgartlinger, they are the number six has been struggling. So I guess it's really just a case of, okay, we have this player. We have plenty of options, um, on that position. And for 20 million euros, we can bring in a piece that will help us long term. Well, I think at that point we'll move on to um to a club that seemed to be in a crisis mode, but um, that seems to have disappeared uh, now after a two 0 victory over Freiburg. Yes, we're going to talk about Eintracht Frankfurt. Uh, Chris, um, everyone thought you know, after the the Super Cup, you and know, the Pokal, that you know that there was um, alarm bells ringing and that it could be a top season for Eintracht, but um, they, they seem to be a little bit back on course uh, with this 2-0 uh, victory. We've seen Sebastian Haller get the uh, the second goal and, and provide the first one. Yeah, perfect response really, wasn't it? They were uh, humbled in the um, Super Cup and then slightly embarrassed, or probably more than slightly embarrassed in the Pokal, obviously, as the champions um, bowing out first round is never easy, especially after reaching the final for the two 
uh, previous years, but when they needed a response, they got one. Um, I'll revert back to what Manu said earlier, which is, you know, match day one. Freiburg, not the strongest of sides. Um, Christian Strike does amazing work down there, but, you know, it's it, it's, um, it's a little bit of a melting pot, smaller ground. Um, atmosphere is quite good. Um, same matchup as last match day one, funnily enough, um, and, a, and a lot better um, result. I was there. Last season, it was nil-nil on the Sunday. Um, so, you know, whoever went to this one got a 2-0 victory to Frankfurt. So congratulations on that. And um, far better game than I saw last year. But I, I would just err on the side of cur- uh, caution that um, Frankfurt still need to do this for the next few games to really uh, undermine to me that they've got over their problems. I just can't see past that. Super Cup display, really. It's all right going out and beating the likes of Freiburg. No disrespect to Freiburg. Um, 2-0. But or how are they going to be when they come and play against uh, Bayern again or um, TSG or even Gladbach or Leverkusen or Dortmund? I, I can't see them matching this sort of result. So whilst it's a great start to the season for them, I am still concerned uh, by the way they play and also by the way... They seem to have a little bit of a mental block if they go down. It would have been really interesting, Bryce, to see them go 1-0 down to Freiburg and see how they coped. I think that's, we'll see, the real test of this Frankfurt side is is when they go behind in their um, either next game or, or their next few games. Yeah, absolutely. That will be more testing times. Wonder does that, uh, Manu? We hear that. Um, I mean, transfers are are going um, going around plentiful at the moment, and uh, Marco Fabian looked to be on his way out. Uh, there, a man that you and I, you know, absolutely love because of our love of uh, Mexican football as well. You have that soft spot for him, but it seems like his medical field, so he may not be going anywhere. He was on his way to Fenerbahce, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he was, but apparently his persistent back problems meant that he's failed his medical there. So back to Frankfurt it is for him. Um, he won't, he won't be able to conclude that transfer. And it, it really is going to be interesting to see what's going to happen to him next because, um, the, the, the one issue that Frankfurt are having is that he, he hasn't, the talks of on a new contract have failed. So that's the reason why they tried to offload his contract now. But um, that seems to be very, very difficult for them because, I mean, the transfer window closes in four days, so they may have to hold on to him. Now, we don't mind so much, do we? Well, it's, it's it, the question is, are you going to be able to integrate a player who you've basically told to go away? Right? That's always tough. I think a lot of from what I've heard from Frankfurt, a lot of people were very, very confused why they were trying to cut the cut him loose, anyways. But um, I think they need a player like him. I think it's it's someone who they could really use. The question is, how is it going to be easy to reintegrate him into the squad? And that's that's always something that can be difficult, right? And I think both both sides will have to maybe jump over the shadows a little bit to make that happen. Or alternatively, you find a last minute deal. Um, on, on the closing stage of the of the transfer window. Yeah, we'll have to uh, wait and see just what happens with uh, Marco Fabian, uh, whether he gets some game time or whether he gets shipped off in the next few days. But um, le- guys, let's move on to the Sunday fixtures. And I've got to go to Manu first because we're going to talk about the mind scheme because I want Chris to save his energy for the uh, for the Dortmund one. So uh, Manu, the impressive result for mine said that they'll take that um, first match day victory um, against Stuttgart. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people didn't give Mainz very much credit going into this season. I thought that they have done really well on the transfer market and, and, and Ridley Baku have one of the most interesting talents in the league. And um, yeah, I think they, they showed some of this. I mean, again, match day one, take every result with a grain of salt, but I think that Mainz did quite well in this match and um, looked a lot better than many people expected. And I, I mean, we had uh, Matthew Marshall, um, our new football grad network signing, go to this particular game, and he had he he exactly said the same things in his uh, post-match report and his thoughts on the game that you know, minds looked a lot better than a lot of people um, were thinking. That a lot of people didn't give them enough credit. And I, we look at the signings that they brought in and Mateta Baku. Um, 
Kunde, you know, Nia Karte. Um, they're all very good, young, interesting, talented players. And I think that Mainz is a fascinating project right now. I think that they are a club that could go either way. They could be a club that could massively surprise us or, you know, a team that could really struggle. But I think that, that first result, um, is, is going to give them, is going to put them into the right path. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think a lot of people were a bit down on them going into the season, but uh, the, I, I watched this game and I, I thought they, you know, they played pretty well. They passed the ball around. You know, they they didn't look like a team that were, were to be, you know, classified as underdogs in any way. Uh, I thought they were pretty positive and made Stuttgart look pretty average, to to be honest. Um, that they'll obviously have an away game to uh, Nuremberg next week. They'll be looking to put another three points on the board. That would be a, a hell of a start for Mainz. But um, yes, guys, let's talk about the big one on Sunday. And yeah, I, I hope you've done your stretches, Chris. There's plenty to talk about, isn't there? Th- th- this is going to be Dortmund season, isn't it? Um, you would hope, and I think I say that um, from every neutral's perspective as well, you would hope that someone can really take a challenge to Bayern. Um, You asked me earlier, Bryce, who I predicted uh, in the league and where Bayer Leverkusen had put them. So I found um, the exact prediction I put. So I have Dortmund to the top um, to win the league with Bayern second, um, Bayer Leverkusen third and Hoffenheim fourth with Leipzig and Schalke and Gladbach in the provincial um, Europa League places, depending on cup results, etc. So, um, yeah, it was it was the start that Dortmund needed, or was it the start that Dortmund needed? Because um, after 30 seconds, um, I had friends in the stadium who, um, let's say, we weren't exchanging the best um, mood of messages. Um, Dortmund looked well, looked like the team that had fallen asleep. And I did a, um, a five things we learned, which is on football stat from this game, and. You know, my top one was that um, the Europa League stood Leipzig in very good stead because they came out the blocks looking like a team that played four and five competitive fixtures and Dortmund almost looked like they were in pre-season mode and uh, if they needed a, a kick up the backside, they certainly got one. And, you know, I think Manu will, will come in in a moment, but they were fortunate, Bryce, that they weren't two down after two minutes. Um, Paulson close with a header on another day that goes in and you know, I think we've got a completely different game, but it took a little bit of time to sell, didn't it? 15, 20 minutes. I think I noted it down as 20 minutes it took for Dortmund to come out of preseason mode. But wow, once they came out of that preseason mode, um, we had a game on our hands. And yeah, in the, uh, in, in the report I did in the, the five points, I think the scoreline flattered, um, Dortmund a little bit. Um, in the same way, I think by Leverkusen were unfortunate to get beat 2-0. I think RB Leipzig were very unfortunate to get beat 4-1. Um, I thought they played some fantastic football, uh, exceptional high line, exceptional high press that Dortmund could not cope with for 15 minutes. They couldn't even clear the lines. Um, so you would think on another day, um, Leipzig get a really good result there. But, I mean, we spoke about Lucien Favre at great length, haven't we, since we came back after our summer break and the type of football he, he plays and the type of things he wants from his players. And, you know, I, I put it in my report at the end, six shots, um, five on target. So yeah, six shots in total, five on target, four goals. You don't get any more Lucien Favre than, than that result. It is, it is taking your shot and taking your opportunities at the exact time. There was no crazy long shots. There was no shots from 35 yards. There was no rushed headers. There was, there was nothing Everything was clinical, very, very clinical. And I put that on Twitter as well, that I think when we're going to talk about Dortmund this season, we're going to use the word very, very clinically or very, very clinical on quite a lot of match days because bar the early goal um, and bar the first 15 minutes, I think they had a, a pretty much a perfect game. Man, I'll be interested to hear what you thought. Yeah, we we talked about this then in the first few minutes of the game, and I think you were quite right to point out. You could tell that Leipzig was playing, has been playing in the Europa League, right? And um, they're now five matches into the Europa League season already, so they have been in a com- competitive mode for a lot longer. And then you add the the cup match and that, so they're six games into their season. Dortmund had the cup match, and um, in the cup match, 
also struggled a little bit uh, in the first few minutes. You could tell that Fürth was already in, in season already. Um, something that we discussed in great lengths last week with Constantine, right? Who was on. And I think that's really what it comes down to. This is, this is another thing. That's why you have to take these match days, uh, early match days with grain of salt because some teams will be all the teams preparing differently for the season. And you could really tell that Dortmund uh, still had to find the legs. But once that first goal went in, right, um, things, things really started to slowly but surely change. And I remember writing the match report. This was really Dortmund's first chance of the game for them to make it, um, 1-1. And then after that goal, so 20, 20, for the first 20 minutes, Leipzig were absolutely dominant. And after that goal, you could slowly but surely see how Dortmund were taking control. And as the match went on, you could also sort of notice that Leipzig started to struggle a little bit. And they have, I mean, we were going to talk about this in a moment, but they're having some real squat issues already. Um, the squat is very thin and they have a lot of injuries already at this point. So you could really tell that once that momentum was gone on their side, they started to really be uh, grinded down and Dortmund were very good in the second half just shutting them down really just shutting the game down and say look we're up 3-1 we're going to do what's necessary we're going to pass the ball around we're going to shut down your your attacking moves um, there was a couple hobbles for Berkey, um same old but I mean overall they were very good not giving Leipzig any of the the, the clear shooting lanes so I thought this was classic father ball um that's a term that I'm going to use for the rest of the season to describe this, taking your chances and making sure the opponent doesn't have any. And that's the kind, that's the kind of football you need to play to win games. And on top of that, I thought it looked really good. And the one thing that I was really impressed with, and this is already something that impressed me in the closing stage of the third game, Chris, is, um, Axel Witzel and Delaney in midfield. Boy, there was authority there. Um, those two. A, did they, did they manage to, to really take control of the ball? And B, I mean, Witzel's goal, um, that bicycle kick, overhead kick, um, really showed why Dortmund brought him in. And, and people were worried that he would uh, stifle Dahoud's, um, Dahoud's development. I think he's actually good for Mahmoud Dahoud because he really frees him up, doesn't he? Yeah, he did. I think um, Witzel playing that little bit more of a withdrawn role was... Um, able to give the Houdanderlaney the space to run in behind the front three, which um, I think played played right into into the way that Dortmund want to um, want to get back to playing attacking football. It, it, it's a little bit of a different four three three than I think we've seen under previous managers before, but I you know I certainly liked it. Um, and for me, it was key that those midfield three really got in and around the uh, around the key areas because. With Leipzig preferring that four four two, and they play with the you know a very withdrawn double pivot. It was essential that those central three areas were filled, and and pretty much they were, um, apart from those early moments. I think it would have been harsh to say that Witzel was at fault for the first goal, but his positioning was a little off. But I think once the three of them gelled together, um, especially Dahoud was was given almost a free role, I think, and. For someone who's disappointed under the previous two managers and hadn't really adjusted to life at Dortmund, I thought he was excellent, uh, looking like um, the sixth Beatle with his. He's got a very um, Beatle haircut, um, so he's standing right out at the moment. And I thought he played some fantastic football. Um, I was really pleased with his goal. You know, we're all big fans of him, um, none more so than uh, Lucien Favre actually, who gave him his big break. So. His goal was was exceptional. The way he adjusted his body in midair and still had the power to direct the header into the goal. Um, I thought his support playing around the front three was excellent. I thought his work rate was excellent as well. And um, Christian Pulisic was kicked everywhere. Maybe didn't have the best of games, but it was the captain, wasn't it, Marco Royce, who you know. And I put that in the article that I wrote afterwards. If Dortmund want to challenge on three fronts, um, he needs to be fit. And he needs to be fit for more than 10 games a season. And hopefully, hopefully he can be that um, that guy now as the captain of the club. And um, I thought he played very, very well, his supporting role. And I think it was it was nice for him to get his goal at the end. Um, his dangerous free kick, obviously, poor old Sabitzer. But in truth, this was a really good Dortmund performance. And, you know, one I think that Dortmund fans will hope it carries on. But once again, it's... Um, 
it's the first match day of the season. Let's see where we are after match day four or match day five. Well, Manu, we, we talked about you know the, the the Dortmund sides. Yeah, we 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 obviously hope that they would mount a, a title challenge. Um, things obviously looking good after this performance, but we said that you know, the the striker issue may be a problem there. Uh, it looks like they're trying to um, bring somebody in. We, we we talked about Batswai uh, in the past, and even even Balotelli as well. But um, it looks like they're they're going to pick up a, a Spaniard, uh, Paco Alcacer from uh, Barca. Uh, it's, is there much truth in this? Is this going to be a loan deal, a transfer? But what type of player is he? So, if he doesn't fail his medical, <laughs> this deal will happen. Uh, this is the only thing that's still missing, and that's why. Um, that's, I think that, that's basically, I mean, we nowadays, we know we've seen it just with Fabian that they could, they could find something and say, okay, look, we're not going to go for this. But, um, from what I hear, they will be paying 2.2 million euros, uh, for the loan deal. And then they have an option to make the deal permanent for 20 to 25 million euros if they like who they see. Now, Paco Alcazar is, um, Lucien Favre's favorite. He wants, he wants a striker badly. They looked at Divok Origi and they looked at um, Ademola Lukman, actually, um, apparently as well. Um, I guess we'll get to talk to him for for a few seconds in a minute. But yeah, so they they wanted he wants someone who's not an imposing striker. He wants a playmaking striker. I guess someone like Rafael and Alcazar, Amida seventy five, um, is more of a playing striker. His big uh, problem at Barcelona was that he is um, he he. he occupies a lot of the same areas than Messi, so he can't play that role there. He did well at Valencia. He's still young. He's only 24, so there is there is um, a player that he, they can still develop. And I think with that loan deal, it's not a huge risk. So um, by the time the deal is official, there is an article waiting on the Football Grad Network. So this could be out by the time this podcast is out, um, where I'm going to talk about him in a bit more detail because we have a Barcelona expert um, who chatted to him uh, chatted to him about this a little bit, but yeah, I think that Bachwai um, just simply did not fit Lucien Favre's state playing style. He wants someone who can drop deep. He wants someone who can play um, in that in that passing football. Bachwai doesn't do it. Bachwai is an all-out striker. He's someone who takes the ball and puts it in the net. Right? When you look at the way Raphael played at Gladbach, I think that's very much the blueprint of the kind of striker they were looking for. They were looking for more of a Miroslav closer rather than a breaker. And I guess in Paco Alcazar, that's exactly who they um, identified that he can do that. So I'm really curious to see how he will will fit in and if they can complete this deal. Chris, just a a little word on uh, RB Leipzig before we uh, move on to um, more uh, interesting uh, big news. Um, They've obviously got a midweek game uh, and... We're looking at it a little bit like we did last year and saying that you know the the European games, league games, their squad doesn't seem to maybe be big enough. Um, it, do you see them bringing anyone in you know, apart from maybe Lukman? And even at that, is Lukman a done deal? Um, and how do we see their league season going? Well, Lukman's definitely not a, a done deal as yet. Uh, they've been trying the hardest. They've um, had three bids turned down. Um, it looks like they're, they've made a fourth one, although it's not confirmed as such. And if that's accepted, it will be wrapped up, obviously, this week because of the transfer window. Um, but Everton are, are quite rightly holding out um, for what they think is, is the top price, uh, which is around £28 million. Um, so we'll have to see if, if they can be talked down or um, if they can be persuaded to take bonuses, etc. But obviously, Luckman is very much um, Ragnick and Mint's last number one target for the whole season. We knew that already, and we were pretty much told that when we were in Berlin, Manu and I, um, for the last game of the last season. You know, it was pretty much said throughout that he is the main man they want to get in. Uh, is he the be-all and end-all? Personally, no, I, I, I don't think he is. Um, I think he's an exceptional player, but I don't think he's going to, fill all of um, Leipzig's problems. At the minute, they need to get Forsberg playing a lot better. I thought he had a pretty poor game um, on Sunday um, and not settling particularly well. Obviously, he's had a, a furore around him for the last couple of years. Is he staying? Is he going? Obviously, he 
he's staying. Um, it's whether he can start getting back to the level we saw him, what, 18 months ago. Um, I, I do worry for Leipzig um, if they get through this very tricky playoff. Um, have they got the squad depth and have they got the, the players that can take them through um, playing midweek and, and the weekend? They certainly couldn't last season. Um, and obviously... Um, they're a player down and a very, very big player down, um, which that hole's still not being filled. You know, that Naby Keita size hole still hasn't been filled. So it may be a bit of a blessing in disguise if they don't get through against um, Sawyer, but I'm, I'm sure they will. Um, and everyone in Leipzig will be massively disappointed if they don't. But as it stands at the moment, they're a bit of a threadbare squad and they could do with Luckman and probably two others. A tough season for Leipzig, it, it may prove to be. But, uh, Chris, I'm going to go back to you. Um, the big news about a former RB Leipzig employee and Stanmo Dresden. Um, what's happening there? Uh, yeah, Ralph Hasenhutl, straight out of nowhere, this has. Um, apparently, he was um, at the match the other day watching Dresden um, play um, with a view to taking over, which I think would be a coup for Dresden because Hasenhutl is a fantastic manager. Um, he was only linked with Arsenal not that long ago. Um, obviously, an Emery's gone into there. So that's the sort of calibre of manager you're looking at. I, I would I would think if any of the top six um, Bundesliga clubs lost their manager today, they would certainly make a move for Ralf Hasenhutl. So for him to drop down a league, um, I don't think that's anything particularly bad. I think it shows the stature of, of how keen he is to get back to managing. But um, for Dresden, and Manu and I have been there and we were there the, the back end of last season, uh, beautiful ground, um, exceptionally passionate um, set of fans. I think he could do wonders there. And um, Manu and I, we chatted, you know, what's missing from Dinamo Dresden to make them a Bundesliga side. And maybe it's Ralph Hassenhutl. I think if he goes in, they would be... Um, one of my favourites to to get that third place. I think Dresden are sleeping giant. This is a club with so much history. The one of the um, most successful clubs in in the former GDR. Boy, if they can get Hasenhüttel, that could kiss that giant awake. Um, just the euphoria that would awaken around that, that that club. I mean, the question is, can they can they financially afford it? And if they do can afford this, then I wonder what's happened behind clo behind doors that they um, all of a sudden have found this well of <laughs> well of gold um, to sign someone like that. So I'm really curious to see what's happening in Dresden. Something seems to be happening that's maybe going beyond Hasenhüttl. And I I personally would love. I mean that that region in Germany is very underrepresented in the top flight. Yeah, absolutely. I've got a friend that lives there. So, yeah, I could see them being in the top flight. That'd be perfect for me. Got a place to stay. A very exciting time for Dynamo Dresden. But, guys, that does it for the first weekend of uh, Bundesliga action. Uh, the podcast is in the bag. Uh, Chris, what have you got going on this week? Is there anything you'd like to draw people's attention to? Um, well, obviously, there's a lot going on on football, Brad. But me personally, um, I'm, I'm working hard, Bryce, as, as we all are. And the only thing I've got to, to draw of note is if you didn't see the five points um, from the Dortmund-Leipzig game, check that out. And also, please do check out Matthew Marshall's stuff. Um, he's one of the new writers that's joined us. And um, he's he's an apes writer. I mean, he's a fully-fledged journalist, and he's going to the games for us over in Germany, You know, as Manu and I will be. So, yeah, please make sure you follow him and, and check out his stuff because he's, uh, he's a good writer and he needs... Uh, needs all the exposure and support we can give him. Absolutely. Fantastic work there from Matthew, and it's great to have him on board. So, Manu, you're always busy. What have you got going on this week? Yeah, the the Champions League previews, uh, the playoffs, they are already published and out. I'm working to set up the Europa League previews as well. They're going to be out. Some of them will be out. Andrew Flint is writing some of them, so they um, they will be out some of them maybe today, um, some of them tomorrow, all of them tomorrow, by the end of tomorrow. And then, um, yeah, uh, Paco Alcazar, the moment that deal is done, there will be a profile on him up on, on uh, fußballstadt.com. And 
yeah, I guess that is already plenty. Uh, whatever else, we're kind of reactionary a little bit of what's happening in this last week. Transfer window closes on Saturday. So uh, reactionary to that as well. Very exciting times, a very busy times, the Football Grad Network. So guys, if, if you're on Twitter, go to at Football Grad Live. There's tons of articles um, and news uh, breaking on there. Um, but plenty to keep you entertained. Uh, thank you for tuning in once again. We appreciate it. Um, if, if you have time, wherever you do get the podcast from, if you could just uh, leave some positive words or a, or a decent feedback uh, review, we, we'd greatly appreciate it. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And thanks for tuning in. And we'll report back on match day two. Until then, I'll feed us in. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen, ich hab zu holen. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.